Welcome to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Today, we're going to challenge you to think differently and do things differently. To search for what is seen as impossible to do in your field or industry, but if done, would be transformative. To understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Now, here is your host, Jay Allen. Hello, I'm Jay Allen, your host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Today's discussion, we're going to focus on transform something and some concentration on educational complexities and life complexities from preschool to postgraduate. Meet needs now. And one of my favorite quotes still is a Thomas Jefferson quote, there's a better way to do it, find it. We all know that. We need to look for it, notice things. With my guests, we're going to, going to discuss three unique uh, things about transformation. We'll challenge you to step out of your comfort zone, transform something. We'll also examine why the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. We're excited to have three guests with us today who've led in so many aspects. And a common thread that I discovered in talking to them before, running through the guests in their concentration, is they're in some way or another all working with education and life complexities, working from preschool to postgraduate. One of our guests, Art Erickson, was raised in Chicago near the projects. Art moved to St. Paul, Minnesota, attend Bethel University. And after committing his life to Jesus Christ, he was challenged to change geographies into communities, a big task. And to do that, he founded Urban Ventures Foundation. With that, Art and his community leaders have achieved changed lives, families, communities in a changed city. And remarkably, it's resulted in transformation brand now used around the world. Buffy Smith, PhD, is a sociologist, educator, consultant, and the founding associate dean of the academics of academics and the interim dean and executive director of Doherty Family College. She's also a professor of sociology at the University of St. Thomas. Duffy, Buffy's primary research interests include examining racial and class disparities within the higher educational system. Dr. Smith has received several awards and grants recognizing her research on diversity issues in higher education. She's also written many articles and book chapters and is the author of a book mentoring at-risk students through the hidden curriculum at higher education. Tej Thornton is president, chief executive officer, and founder of North Star Education Finance and North... Star Education Finance is intent to and accomplishing the cost reduction for graduate, postgraduate education through repayment incentives to students. They have originated more than $8 billion in post-secondary education loans, and the firm has paid over $400 million in behalf of its student borrowers. North Star also provides grants and scholarships to nonprofit entities who mentor students and low-income families to attend and complete a post-secondary education. Tej is a University of Iowa graduate, and he's held executive roles with First Bank System, 
Bancor American Express, and Harris Trust and Savings Bank. We thank you for the audience, and I thank you three for participating today. Your strengths and thoughts will be important as we consider our own transformation responsibilities. Let's kick off by talking about what transformation means to you. Buffy, you want to kick it off? Thank you, Jay. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your radio show and and providing me this opportunity to have this discussion with two distinguished uh, leaders in our community, Art and uh, Tate. So thank you. But when I think of uh, transformation, as you said, Jay, for me, I think that I have to always go beyond my comfort zone. Um, And so I have uh, a lot of fears, anxieties, and insecurities. Um, But in order to um, make transformational change, I have to not allow my fears to limit my opportunities. So my transformation journey is really a journey of a reluctant leader. So I was raised by a single mother. Uh, We received public assistance. We lived in public housing uh, in, in the inner city of Milwaukee. And so my two goals at that time was really just to stay alive and to uh, get out of the projects. Um, my pathway out of the projects uh, was education. Uh, and in fact, I loved, I loved school so much, I wanted the only sort of career dream I wanted was uh, to be a teacher. Um, and so as a first generation uh, college student, uh, I benefited from a lot of educational opportunity programs like TRIO, uh, McNair, And when I graduated with my PhD uh, from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, my career goal was to um, become a sociology professor and then to earn tenure and then be eventually promoted to uh, the highest level of a full professor. And so once I actually achieved that, uh, when I had earned tenure and I was uh, at the rank of a full professor, I really was content I mean, I had achieved my two childhood goals, which was to stay alive and to get out of the projects. Um, And so I thought mission accomplished. Um, However, I was uh, uh, approached to become the chair of my department. And I was reluctant to say yes immediately because I wanted to continue to do my research. I was doing research um, on how to help uh, scholars from under-resourced uh, and underserved communities uh, thrive in college and navigate the institutional culture uh, of college. However, eventually I did say yes uh, to become our department chair, and I thought I could probably uh, help our department um, generate more interest in sociology um, and increase our sociology majors. And so I was very content being the chair of the department. And that was a big transformation for me, moving from, I really just saw myself as a teacher, now I was moving into administration. I was a department chair for one year, and then I was asked to um, become the uh, founding associate dean of Doherty Family College. Initially, once again, I was reluctant to say yes, because I was happy being the department chair, Um, but what I said yes to uh, was, the mission of Doherty Family College. And our mission uh, is to provide um, scholars who demonstrate high financial need a pathway, an affordable pathway to academic and career success. And our guiding principles are accessibility, a sense of belonging, and leadership development. 
So how do you say no to a mission like that? So I said yes uh, uh, to the mission of Doherty Family College. Um, and then I have served uh, as an associate dean of academics for three years. And then recently, and back on October 1st, I was uh, um, appointed uh, the interim dean of Doherty Family College. And so I work with a wonderful, amazing team of educators and professionals who are laser focused on trying to prepare um, our scholars, our young scholars to become transformational leaders uh, on a local, national and global uh, level. Um, and so the, the transformation for me was always being called to um, a, a higher mission. Um, and the mission exceeded my uh, initial fear and anxiety and insecurities. So I, I always feel that if I say yes to the mission of a divine assignment, um, uh, it helps me push through my daily fears and anxieties. Well, congratulations for continuing to live on the edge and benefit those people that you're associated with and providing the leadership that others can do it because you're living proof. And Tage, what about you? What's transformation mean to you? Well, you know, as someone who started a business um, and it was a business that uh, we really picked up um, uh, people and software from a company that actually went out of business because they didn't run it efficiently. Um, and I had limited capital. I had to, I had to totally rethink the whole approach to, to how, you know, an administrative banking kind of service uh, operates. Um, and I couldn't find any models within, you know, banking or administration and even insurance companies. And the funny thing is um, I discovered a group uh, at a large manufacturing company and they went over and saw how they did things. Um, and if you don't realize that this country, uh, you know, um, so much has been done in the manufacturing area. We, we keep thinking manufacturing is disappearing. It's just the number of jobs have disappeared, but the dollar value and what's being produced, uh, those numbers are astronomical compared to where they were even in the 90s and the 2000s. Um, because they, they've just developed all of these very, very efficient ways to do things. Uh, it's more than technology, it's actually business processes. And so I was able, I discovered a lot of those and I brought those over and I said, could this work in an administrative world? Um, and, um, you know, by sitting down for about six months with my employees and, uh, and we, we stripped our company, our business apart, we originally mapped out and said, well, it looks like we, looks like we have under the existing model about 234 steps to, you know, handle an application, you know, credit underwrite it, uh, set it up, trade information with the colleges and, and, the, and financial aid offices. And, so we took those and we started breaking them down and we realized that so many of them were put into little silos that one person did this, one person did that, another person did. And we found that we could merge all of those just like manufacturing does it. Um, and what was amazing is when we got all done, we went from 234 steps, we brought it all the way down to like somewhere like 110 steps. So we literally cut the process in half. Um, we then sat down and started training our people and realized that you know, we don't need little departments or separations and silos. We can train everyone across the board to do this stuff. Um, and we actually moved people around to the business flow. We didn't, you know, we didn't have different unique uh, talented groups doing it. 
And uh, then we even discovered that we could get rid of uh, the classic supervisor and we created work teams. So transformation to me is really trying to figure out a better way to do things. Uh, Because our model was one where, you know, we had three key things we had to do. We, you know, we, we, we had to, you know, find lower cost of funding. And I just happened in the 90s and leading into the 2000s, the capital markets started creating very efficient uh, delivery of funding mechanisms. So I was able to ride on that. I mean, and, but, you know, the, the key is to identify them and, and work with them. And so I had a team of people that did that. Uh, but then we had to take the operations group and match it up with the technology group. And instead of having people compete for budgets, everybody would sit down and said, our goal is to lower the cost of these things. How do we do it? And we got people to sort of work together. And when it was all done, after several years of doing it, what started out my first year of total chaos and wondering how I was going to operate this thing going forward, by about the third or fourth year, uh, everything was working very smoothly. You know, we were, we were just driving our co- operating costs down. We were doing better delivery to the schools. And the capital markets kept delivering cheaper funding to us, so we kept passing that on to the students. And... And not only that, what happened is all the employees who used to compete with each other and fight and, you know, have little tiffs and argue over things, all of a sudden, everybody started understanding the one goal that we were trying to achieve. And, and, and it was amazing because out of it, they then all started developing trust within each other. And I think that was the thing that was very heartwarming to me is to see that all of a sudden, I started out with this chaos and now I've got a group of people who all feel they have the same mission and the same ownership. So transformation to me uh, is all of those things, uh, but, but it's scary because you literally have to jettison the past and, 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 and figure out, well, you know, there's a lot of good tools and, and resources and material out there that, that you can copy and use and, and replicate. And, um, and as I say, the, we're, we're living in an incredible uh, country that allows this kind of stuff to happen. And, um, and this is the kind of thing that hopefully, you know, the St. Thomas and the others are teaching their students. Um, you know, we can't go back and do the way we used to do it. We literally have to do something new going forward. Well, we'll uh, talk a little in the future, in a few minutes about the edginess of that and, and, mm-hmm. and the fun of it and the it fun is. of it, because uh, we all know that's true. Those of us that have experienced the transformation. Art, what about you? Well, um, I, 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 I was uh, interested in the difference between myopic and incremental on the one hand and transformational on the other, because I noticed that most people know where they live and they know how to get to work and they know how to get to the uh, grocery store and they know how to get to the golf course and they know how to get to church and they know how to get to the airport and they, they know their little rabbit tracks and they, they each one of those, the business, the church, etc., they do church, they do business, they do golf course, and, and they're incremental and myopic, but not transformational in that they don't know their neighborhood around them or their neighbors. So it was very interesting to be exposed to an anthropologist, the Polish anthropologist who studied the United States, the western part of the United States, and she said, there's three parts to the United States that I, I see in, in California at all. I see landscape. I see machines, oh my goodness, the machines, all the tractors, all the farm stuff, and all the trucks, everything. 
and then I see people. And she said, I studied this and I looked at it a long time and then I discovered something that, that, that we make people landscape. Don't go over there. Don't go out there. It's not safe out there. That's landscape. And then there's machines. We go to the store. We never talk to the person that waits on us. We, 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 we use the truck, the truck driver, the bus driver, everybody, the elevator operator. We, they're machines. The only people that we have are the ones that we let into our house. So <laughs> how do you then begin to help people see that out there, landscape, those, those are people. And, and the people that are the machines, they're people. And how do I begin to put them into people? And that was an interesting thing. That's a transformational idea. Then we went out to Peter Drucker on his 90th birthday in California, and we heard Peter Drucker, the business guru, tell us, the greatest challenge we've got today is changing geography into community. Changing geography into community. Now, as we've come into the cities in the last 80 years, we have 60% of the world living in cities. We, people have moved into cities. And, and so how do we take geography and change it into community in the cities? And he said, uh, I, I tell you who's going to do it. He said, it's going to be the corporate because they got the money. They have the resources. They, they, they've got everything and corporate can, can do this. And then he said, wait, 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 wait. Corporate is a penny up, a penny down every quarter. They give you $5,000. <laughs> they're not going to do anything. They're, they're concerned about them. He said, it, it's, it's going to be the government for the people, by the people, with the people. And then he said, hey, wait, you ever tried to do a building? It takes you two years to get all the specs and rigs. They, 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 it's not going to be government. He said, it's going to be education. They're going to teach us how to do this. Well, you go to education, you get a degree. Nothing changes. You get a degree to whatever. He said it's going to be the church. Oh, the compassion, the, 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 all the, the, the love and the caring of the church. He said, but the problem with the church is you got 3,000 Protestants, you got Catholic, a billion of them, and they don't talk. And it, it, so there's no talk. He said it's going to be the nonprofit that pulls all of this together. All right, excuse me a minute. That's a great place. We have to take a break, and we'll come right back and talk about the nonprofit. Thank you very much. Are you struggling to gain a competitive edge in your market? Are you looking for innovative ways to engage customers, improve responsiveness, and inspire your team to grow your business? Masters Alliance Strategic Management Consulting Firm brings over 30 years of experience partnering with a wide variety of industries in 13 countries to achieve breakthrough business results. Jay Allen and his team of professionals can help your organization consider new strategies and creative solutions to produce a lasting impact. Masters Alliance delivers the knowledge and experience to help your team take action now. Masters Alliance will work with you to engage employees, customers, and suppliers to accelerate how you do things to gain growth and competitive advantage. Our team brings fresh perspectives and a track record of excellence to help you accomplish your business goals. If you're ready to set your business apart and make a difference in your markets, Masters Alliance is ready to help. Visit mastersalliance.com to learn more. 
Are you ready to break the mold and discover your business edge? Are you ready to get to the future on time? Then take the bucket off your head and transform something. Opportunities are everywhere. Drawing on key principles from his award-winning Bucketheads book, Jay Allen and his team at Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC, will support you as you take your organization out of its comfort zone, energize, and embolden your team to champion new thinking. Identify obstacles to growth and look at markets, customers, and competition from a fresh perspective. Discover your organization's outlook on the future and potential to shape that future. Does your team appreciate the excitement of achievement? Do they understand that today may already be obsolete and tomorrow's opportunities are easy to miss? It's time to take action. Get in the new game and make a difference in the marketplace. Commit to success today. Get in touch with Jay Allen at mastersalliance.com. Get your copy of Bucketheads today. Available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. See more at bucketheadsbook.com. You are tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com. That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Hi, welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of Get to the Future on Time and Do Differently Tomorrow. And for those people that might have tuned in a little late, we're excited to have three experienced leaders with us today. Buffy Smith, PhD, sociologist, universal education leader, and Tej Thornton, business executive and an enabler of postgraduate education, and Art Erickson, executive for transforming communities. And Art, let's pick up with you again. You just entered the world of nonprofit for transformation. Could you continue that, please? Yes, because Peter Drucker said uh, it's going to be the nonprofit that pulls the business, the, uh, the the corporate, the government, the church, the education together, and create a table that everybody can begin to talk and and visit and and and, and visit with. He said they're the ones that are going to do this and pull community uh, geography into community. So uh, I've given. Uh, by the way, he said I've given the best part of my life the last 25 years to nonprofits to help them do this. And so that's been the challenge is how do you become a relational router? My term, a relational router that sets a table to pull all of those people together and gets them talking to each other. Isn't that good? That transforms. Otherwise we're always incremental and we're always myopic and we're doing our thing instead of, our thing. Our total thing. Our total thing. Right. So would some of you comment on what you see as the risk of not stepping up? Not leading a transformation. Because you all observe situations that at that you translated into opportunities and you decided to step up, what would have happened if you hadn't stepped up? Tej, anything hit well, you? Well, I, you know, I, I feel like we've, we've made an awful good contribution to, um, uh, to improving you know, the, the information and financial delivery at colleges and, and universities, and, uh, and I, I feel we had, a, we had a, a, a contribution there. I'm not going to say we were the, 
total leaders, but, uh, uh, but, but, but one of the key things that I got out of it is, you know, I ended up having uh, 110 employees uh, working in my business. Um, and I, you know, looking back now, I can look back and most of those people, when I started, were in their 20s. And, you know, and what was interesting is we, over, those, over those almost 15, 18 years, uh, you know, we only had two or three people turn over. Uh, we kept all of them. Um, and, and as I look at their, you know, their lives and, and uh, their families and, you know, what kind of contribution that we were able to give them uh, and, you know, allow them to be part of something that's big and productive and, and delivering a good service um, uh, to society, you know, I, I look back on all this and I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Um, um, you know, uh, I, I, I look across, you know, our country today and, and, and uh, you know, if you, if you don't know it, we're, you know, every year our GDP keeps shrinking. <laughs> now we have booms and busts and stuff, but yet, you know, you know, we used to be able to slide along in a 4% GDP or three and a half, and now we're slinking down to two and it might be one and a half over the long term. And, and that's a lot of just not doing things differently or improving things. Um, and, um, and I think that's, I, I would hope that others would want to make a difference instead of just doing the same thing or just getting by or, or protecting things, you know, protecting things is, uh, is I, I you know I, I can understand it I totally understand it uh, but I I myself personally um, I do thrive on uh, changing and seeing things improve um, and while I say it's fun it's terrifyingly fun sometimes yeah so I like to look at separate these that idea out into three sections protecting the current situation. Art touched on that, changing things and then transforming. And my observation in my world of working with over 2,200 senior execs and their direct reports in 20 different industries and in 13 countries and that, all those organizations is that when people are, or leaders are protecting the current situation, everybody in the organization is frustrated. Because the people that are closest to the markets, closest to the customers, close to the constituencies, they can see all the opportunities that are being ignored. So it's really frustrating. And then a next part is when you're changing things or when the situation calls on an organization or people that you've got to change things, well, people feel like it's being put upon them. Like, oh, there's this situation, now we have to change things. And just that word is a lightning rod. But when, when an organization or individuals look at a situation and say, gee, there's an opportunity, we could do something about that opportunity, then people get excited. And so with, with that background, uh, any of you, why do you think others don't take that action? Buffy, what do you think? I, I, I believe that the need is, is great in our society. And at times when we're living right now with a lot of political, cultural, and social unrest, and you think about what can you do in terms of the gifts, the talents, uh, the knowledge uh, you have to make a difference to address an issue 
And Art says it's going to collectively we have to look at different sort of dimensions of our society and come together and work on a particular uh, issue. Well, uh, that's what Doherty Family College was founded on. The educational disparities in our state, in our nation. We know that uh, scholars that come from under resource, underserved backgrounds, don't always have the professional development that they need as they advance into their profession. So making sure that we create a educational model that also values career success. If we only looked at it in terms of, well, does the state of Minnesota really need another college? I think that's a, a short-sighted view. The real issue is as long as we have disparities, as long as there's inequities, as long as there's systematic forms of oppression and discrimination, then we still have to keep thinking outside of the box of how to address a particular need. And so it's not a duplication, but you're always thinking based on best practices, on research, on lived experiences, hearing community members' voices, what are their needs, what are their concerns, and what type of service can you provide the community that you're a part of? And so when you think that you're going to try to be a part of an organization to address these larger systemic issues, that's scary. As Tate says, that's very scary because you think of all the limits you have just as a human being. But I think what art reminds us is that it's not just you as an individual. It's, just, it's not just you in your particular industry. But if we have a truly growth mindset, a truly community mindset, that we should be able to collaborate with one another to say this is the issue that we face as a state, as a nation, globally, and this is how we're going to work collectively to make a real, sustainable, transformational change. But I what, I hear, what I hear you saying is that uh, the logic of the need and the observation is an important part of overcoming the fear. In other words, there's a, there's a solid foundation for taking the step. It's not a whim. Yes. yes. It, and, and do you think that builds confidence? It, it does. And it, it, I think when you know that your mission is larger, it's divine, and it requires all of humanity to come together to address this issue, then the fear is there, but the mission and the divine sort of purpose is greater, and then that pushes us to go beyond our fears. What? What does this group think of the idea that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading? Have any of you 
ever regretted not taking a step? Something to think about. I have. I actually have one that I didn't take for Urban Ventures 10 years ago. I still remember it. I had Colin Powell lined up and the mayor of Minneapolis lined up and I had others lined up and uh, I didn't take the step. Mm. I didn't take the step. Did that ever happen to anybody else? I'm well, just, uh, I'll just mention that um, um, the idea of regret, and I don't, it's, it, I do have a little bit of regret right now, but um, I, you know, I, I think back right now as I look back in my career and my life, and I realize that there are like about four or five individuals uh, that really were transformational to me that kept, that, that, that trusted in me, promoted me, and helped me, you know, take opportunities and do things. And so um, I do regret that I didn't tell them sooner, but I'm still at a point where you know, they're still around and I, I'm, I'm planning on writing each one of them a letter and, and thanking them for everything they did for me. Um, and, and, uh, and again, I helped them, but boy, they, they were transformational and, and letting me get on to the next step in my life and gain confidence and, 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 and uh, be willing to take other risks. And, you know, we don't, I don't think any of us realize, um, you know, life just isn't where you show up and you do things and you say, oh, how great I was. We all have this incredible support group. And, and while I say, you know, the people that I would write these letters to, uh, you know, I also have to, uh, you know, put my wife in there. <laughs> um, you know, she's, uh, she, she's been very supportive of me. Uh, you know, we have four children. Uh, we've been married 38 years. Um, you know, my life and I didn't get here uh, without, without having all the support that I got from her. Um, so, you know, I, I say as regret, you know, we, all of us, we can have these possible regrets, but if you have an opportunity to correct them, do it. You know, that's all I'm going to say is do it. Well, Art, I know you had something to say. What I want to insert something here. And, and Tej, at, at maybe your expense, did you hear the story about the Norwegian guy that loved his wife so much he almost told her. <laughs> so, uh, the idea that uh, this could, this is important. I actually, in my book, in the back of the book, I've got 15 Jay's legends, and that's my way of thanking them. Art, you had a couple of comments I thought you might want to make. Well, <clears throat> I don't have regrets. Um, it's been a constant risk and continued risk. <clears throat> I moved into the neighborhood in uh, 1967 and King was assassinated in 68 and the uh, urban neighborhoods were blowing up uh, across the, the country. <clears throat> and, and the neighborhood that I moved into, Central Neighborhood, was, um, was, was a neighborhood that had been displaced by the, the freeways came in in the 50s and displaced poor people. And then uh, people with skills and resources left and the primary economy left. And then the secondary economies came in. And the secondary economy is five things. I sell drugs, I sell myself, I sell somebody else, I, I street crime and fence, or I get subsidized. And none of that has dignity. And so our neighborhood had 18% homeless, uh, the homes were, 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 were empty. We had 65% uh, father absence. And 
and our we had we had real crises, and so it was a risk in the neighborhood that was falling apart. And, and how do we then make that transform transform that? And we 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 listened to the kids, we listened to the stakeholders, and we began to build programs. We began to do things, and the the way we did is when we set a table. We didn't set a table where people came to sit and talk. We did stress camping where we took a bike trip with 40 inner city kids and suburban kids, half and half. Uh, we, we go 750 miles in eight days. We go up to the mountains, 13,000 feet for 13 days. We go down to Florida to Key West over Christmas for 13 days. We, we, we do backpack uh, Isle Royal. We, we, we did a number of different things that would stress kids and, and push them to make, to, to make their relationships come together and also to pull something out of themselves that they didn't have. For instance, I'll ask you, what was the worst day on a bike trip where you went 85 miles a day and these are not bikers? It's not the first day, not the second day, it's the third day. Everything hurts so bad, you, you throw your bike down and say, I quit. And then you have to then decide to pull something out and go for five more days. And that's monotonous. But was, when we learn at the end of the trip how to, how to unpack this thing, you ha- when you hit the wall and you're 15 and you want to get pregnant and going, AFTC, you, you don't do that. You don't do that. And, and you learn that, that life is monotonous. And, and you have those that master monotony are the ones that, that make it. 11 diapers a day, three meals a day, pay the bills every month, uh, but, but, but you do it. And Sean, these are lessons that, that, that yes. Uh, I take from that uh, that there's an important word in there. When you hit the wall, you have to make a decision. And that's yes. an important part, a very important part to transformation and what we're talking about. It is time to take another break, and we'll come back in a few minutes. Are you ready to look at your business from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow your revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics. Are you ready to look at your business from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow your revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics, the character of the customer, an advanced approach to understanding and engaging your current and potential customers. Traditional demographic views no longer tell you all you need to know. Beyond Demographics engages your organization to gain unique, deep customer segmentation understanding. You get new perspectives of the motivations and needs of your customers. Masters Alliance is ready to help you identify distinct customer value with actionable customer priorities. We work with our team to reveal these hidden opportunities and develop demand creating value propositions. Now is the time to look at your market through a new lens and chart a new competitive direction. At Masters Alliance, you know that customers are more than meets the eye, and success depends on looking beyond demographics. Visit mastersalliance.com to learn more. tuned into get to the future on time do differently tomorrow hosted by jay allen to reach out to the show with questions or comments please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com 
That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow. Hi, I'm Jay Allen, your host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. We're having a great discussion with three experienced leaders as guests today, Tej Thornton, Dr. Buffy Smith, and Art Erickson. And Art, you were just finishing up on the idea of when you hit the wall, you've got to make a decision. Yeah, I think that, that I was talking about stress camping, and when you hit the wall, uh, you have to pull something out. You learn that lesson. But I want to say something about uh, us as leaders I've, I've watched people move into a neighborhood and say, I'm going to change it. They have a vision and they see what's going to happen. And it, it takes about three years for that to not happen. <laughs> and things aren't happening the way they are. So, you know, I say that, that if you, you don't quit, uh, you go, because it's, it's going to take five years, not three. And then if you decide to quit, that's one thing. But if you decide to stay, it's going to take 10 years before you see some things that happen. And it's not going to be everything you thought it was, but you begin to see some things go. So I'm saying we as leaders have to stay a long time someplace, committed to what we think we're supposed to do and do it and keep working at it and not quit because we're going to hit a wall and a wall and a wall and we have to keep going. And the rewards of life go to those who finish and finish it out. Absolutely. So one of the pieces of transformation that I've observed, in addition to continuing and persevering, is a concept of, actually, Tej, you hit on it a little bit earlier, and that is, you take a situation that takes X amount of time, and then you look at it, or X amount of effort, whatever it is. And then you look at it, and aren't you probably do with this with some of your models that you're taking out internationally? You've learned things from your first model. You've refined model after model after model. So the concept I'm talking about is, well, say you take that situation, you take the effort and the time that it might take to have an impact, and you cut it in half. Yep. And then you cut it in half again. Mm-hmm. And then you get to, like you said, Tej, from 234 steps to 110 steps. And we actually had an insurance company that had a claim situation, and they went from 132 steps down to 34 steps. And then when, they, when the exec said, well, wait a minute, if you took it that far, they sent the teams back and said, what can you, what can you do next? So they came back and it, they took it down to 12 steps. And it passed all the legal hurdles, it passed all the due diligence, it passed all common sense, and uh, it protected the company and it protected the clients. And so I bring that up because my observation also is that those people that haven't seen that kind of transformation, understood it or touched it, they have trouble believing it's possible because it all looks impossible. Yeah. And so what, what do you think about that? And what do you think about that in terms of muscle memory? In other words, if you've seen transformation, then you're open to more transformation. If you haven't seen transformation, you're reluctant to try transformation. I, I, 
Jay, I agree with you. As a matter of fact, one of the things that besides discovering, you know, exactly how manufacturing does things and which, you know, eventually has led into all of this logistics, um, um, really what that does is it starts to put a mental model in place. And, and I realized that most people that, that, that were in my organization, they didn't understand it. They didn't have a good mental model for how to make change. And so that was one of the things that we really worked on besides just picking the parts, uh, the pieces apart and trying to reorganize it is I had to train the people how to think differently. And when we finished our first process, I said, well, we've learned so much from manufacturing. Why don't we act just like a manufacturer, even though we're an administrative company that's, that's working in technology and at that point moving paper around that later turned into, you know, no paper. Um, and so every year what we did is we, we, we broke ourselves down into 12 major component parts of our business and we assigned everyone to a team and we called it the retooling period, much like a manufacturer would do. And so every year we re reviewed exactly what happened, uh, you know, what didn't work to our expectations or we didn't think the numbers were right. And we asked those teams to say, what could you recommend? And, and everybody had to get it in at a certain time because we also put a systems person in with each one of them so that when it came back and it says, okay, we're going to automate a lot of this stuff, that systems person was right there with the frontline workers and the people who were dealing with the customers and they knew what to change. And so literally, you know, you talk about taking this model and refining it, refining it. That's exactly what we did in our organization. And, and, um, and this again is the, where the employees took ownership, they took pride. They, they all started trusting each other. They, they all understood that, we're, you know, the goal and the objective of what we were trying to reach. So this idea of taking a model, all right, and understanding that that model needs to be constantly refined. It's not to be, you know, protected. It's not to be just do it over and over again. Uh, it's to take it and keep improving it. So I, I think that's the most important thing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm at a stage of my life where I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I might be able to get out and spend more time with college students or even high school students and, and get some of this message and this knowledge across to them. I agree with you, Tage. It uh, at Doherty Family College, so this is our fourth year, um, and so our, our goal was to see if we could increase the retention rates and the graduation rates uh, for uh, scholars who uh, demonstrate high financial need um, to help scholars who are the first in their family to go to college, uh, not only to pursue their associate degree, but also their bachelor's degree, and to get some real uh, um, uh, work-life experience with paid internships. And so we have we have had higher uh, retention rates and, and, and graduation rates, um, and we hope to be a model for other uh, um, colleges uh, and universities. And you're absolutely right. Um, we are constantly refining uh, our, our model, uh, getting new insights from community members, from our, our collaborative team. Um, and it's important, like you said, to share that information. And so we're not where we want to be, and we don't want to ever be where we want to be until we have completely closed that educational gap uh, in, in our state, in our nation. Um, but we're hoping that we will learn from other uh, schools, and we hope that other schools can uh, learn from our successes as well. Um, and I think the key for being a transformational uh, leader is to uh, never hoard knowledge, <laughs> always share uh, information and, uh, that you've learned and your experiences uh, and to always just have a sort of a real growth uh, mindset uh, where you're uh, contributing 
uh, your, your knowledge and experience, but you're also absorbing uh, knowledge and experiences from others, uh, members in the community, as well as uh, those within your particular um, uh, industry. So when did any of you first understand what leadership was? Think back on that a minute. I have one event, event in my life, which I didn't even know it was leadership. And then once I did it, somebody said to me, great, you led that. And I said, I did. <laughs> I didn't. What's that? So I'm, I'm just curious from a standpoint of how people connect and run into and observe, because I think many, many people have said, there's a need to observe it, and there's a need to understand it. And sometimes you fall into it like I did. But when you fall into it, you still need to understand it a little bit, so you might do it better. So anyone have a time when they thought, gee, I first noticed leadership? You have one, Buffy? I don't know if it's um, maybe it's a a uh, different way of looking at leadership. So I could tell you the first time I, I developed a love for teaching, and I think teachers are leaders. So mm -hmm. uh, when I was in uh, uh, seventh grade, um, um, I was in a math class, and I always, it, it, it takes me a while to learn something, but I always feel that once I learn it, I have the, um, the ability and the patience to help other people. Uh, uh, learned that information and knowledge. And so I was just going uh, around um, uh, to the different uh, desks of my classmates to help them with this math problem. And my uh, teacher noticed that I was doing this, you know, every week. And she said, like, you're really good at this. You know, um, you, 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 it seems like you have a gift for teaching. And that was the first time someone had really acknowledged that, oh, you, you might have this skill set. And, and maybe this is something uh, you would want to pursue. Um, so having um, uh, someone to sort of plant a, a seed uh, um, in your mind that you could be good at this, it made a, a difference. I, it, it changed my uh, worldview. Like, oh, well, maybe I, I could be a, a good teacher. Um, so I, I think in terms of leaders, uh, we should never underestimate the, the power of our words and how our words can uh, inspire uh, um, uh, other uh, uh, young people to take a chance <laughs> to get beyond their comfort zone and to try uh, new opportunities. Um, and so that's the power of, I think, of the words of leaders. That's nice. Well, Jay, my, um, I don't know when it exactly happened, but uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is I, and I realize and I've refined it over time, but I, I really cannot get into conversations with people who want to complain about something. Um, at a certain point, I just sort of stop and say, well, then do something about it, you know? And I, and I realize that, you know, if I have that, if I have that attitude, well, that reflects back on me too. Well, then why don't you do something about it? Um, and so I don't know what it is, but, um, you know, I keep finding myself in situations that I, uh, I step up and I volunteer and I say, we should do it this way. The minute I say it, I realized, uh-oh, I have just <laughs> put myself in a situation where I better carry through on this. Um, you just volunteered. And, uh, 
Well, and you know, and 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 you know, I feel you know, I look back and I um, you know, back in the somewhere in the, let's see, it was 1999. I actually started uh, a men's club at our church. Um, you know, the men had not been active, and uh, yet I'd been over there, you know, helping out in sports and helping out with the kids in school and. And there was all these, you know, these people saying, oh, we should do this or that, or, you know, this doesn't work. Or we and I all of a sudden found myself saying, well, you know, okay, someone needs to do something. Um, you know, I ended up talking to our priest and, you know, and he didn't exactly want me to do it the way I wanted to do it. But uh, he said, well, why don't you get the men involved? And I said, okay, well, what do we do? And so we ended up creating a men's club. Well, that men's club has turned into be one of the biggest organizations <laughs> that runs our church right now. And, um, uh, you know, so I feel good about that. But again, a lot of other people stepped up and, uh, and have carried it on over time. Um, but it's a little bit of that. And then, you know, even in my work career, um, I just sort of always been one of those people that sort of says, well, you know, that doesn't seem to work right. And people would look at me and go, oh, what do you mean? And I would explain it. And all of a sudden I realized I'm going to get there. I have to do something. Thank right? you, Taish. So, during our previous discussions before we came on live today and listening you, to you today, the three of you today, it seems that together you're helping with the complexity of education all the way from preschool to postgraduate. You're also helping with the complexities of life along the educational journey and you're giving of your talent and your energy and experience to help others and you're continuing to refine the creative success models to help others expand and continue your efforts. And, uh, and I didn't hear you say this, but one of my conclusions is you're actually helping the helped to become helpers. You're actually helping those that you help to become helpers. And I wanna thank you all three of you, as we come to the close, Art Erickson, Dr. Buffy Smith, and Tage Thornton for joining our audience and me today. It's been a great experience. I hope uh, the audience will seriously consider what they've heard today, notice things, look at situations, think differently, and as one of you said, learn to think differently and feel that you can take a step. You can gather others together and take a step and be transformative and make a difference. And the conclusion of all four of us on the call is that's where the excitement is, that's where the fun is, and it's worth it. Really appreciate you. Remember, you can follow me on LinkedIn and Facebook. And thank you for the privilege of being with you today. Please tune in next week, Thursday, 10 to 11, Central Daylight Time. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Next week, we will have more takeaways for your business success. So please join us next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk soon.